Hello, everyone, and welcome back to 2020 Psych. I'm one of your hosts, Claire Kay, and I'm joined today by my father. I'll go ahead and let him introduce himself. Hello, my name is Dr. Hernandez. I'm an American double board certified psychiatrist. Thank you so much for listening to our last episode. Today, we want to talk about, well, first, we want to address that it is Mental Health Awareness Month in the month of May. So happy Mental Health Awareness Month. This month, we, this episode, we want to, you know, dive into some overview of the mental health landscape right now in America, as well as get into the specifics about some stats um, and just have a candid conversation about the reality that is mental health in America right now. Yes, we're going to talk a little bit about the state of mental health in America, as well as uh, some of the global issues that concern all of us. Uh, the numbers that we're going to be reporting from are from the National Alliance on Mental Illness and some of the data that they collected in 2020. So I want to ask you, what was kind of the most jarring statistic that you read when you discovered this uh, study? Well, when we want to talk about mental health by the numbers, we're going to look at the global effect that mental health has. And when we took a look at the, the World Health Organization numbers, it's sort of staggering to realize that one out of eight people suffer from some form of mental illness. So that, that is very close to a billion people on the planet that are suffering from some form of mental illness. To me, that was the most staggering figure in all, in all of this. And out of those a billion people, how many do you think, or I don't know if it says, um, have access to mental health care and can actually be treated? Well, that, they didn't particularly quote those figures. We do have some figures in the United States for different types of uh, patient populations and their rate of uh, treatment. And we will go into that in a little bit, but we'll write, I think it's sort of hard to estimate, um, but it's what we know for sure is that uh, the world is underserved when it comes to mental health treatments. I think it's fair to say that. How do you think um, these numbers have been inflated since the COVID-19 pandemic? The numbers that we will report in do reflect post-pandemic uh, numbers. And according to different, uh, to, to different disorders, some have gone up from 10 to 15%, 20% and others. So it has definitely, the pandemic has definitely had an impact on, on mental illness and it's increased the prevalence of, of mental health disorders for sure. So I'd love to hear about some specifics on in the U.S. What um, what does it look like for adults who are, who are suffering from mental illness? I guess what would be the main group suffering? Well, it's important to note that by the age of twenty four, seventy five percent of mental illness will present itself in the United States. One out of twenty adults will experience serious mental illness. One in five adults will experience some form of mental illness. 
and 70% of uh, youth from 16 to 17 experience a mental health disorder. And what do you think are some of the biggest barriers to care when it comes to um, treating these people, having these people um, seek out care? And yeah, what, what do you what would you say are the biggest barriers? Well, first and foremost, there's a limited uh, workforce in regards to psychiatrists, psychologists, and other mental health professionals. So that's the number one barrier. In the United States, it's reported that 24% of the population is grossly underserved, that they just lack the essentials when it comes to mental health treatment. And what do you think schools and communities can do to like help facilitate or address mental health amongst young people because I feel like young people the rise of mental health you know challenges that they face has also increased so I'm wondering what schools and we've talked about this a little bit before well first and foremost education uh, talking about different topics particularly when teachers notice a change in a in a student's behavior, it's important for them to try to investigate what's troubling uh, the student. Uh, mental health services, counseling services should be available when uh, pupils are identified and subsequently they should be have access to some sort of screening where they can perhaps uh, then be referred to other levels of care that, that they may need. So I saw in this study that it said that suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34. And I'm just wondering why do you think suicide is such a significant cause of death among young people? Well, specifically, uh, suicide in the is a, is a leading cause of death in the United States among uh, kids 10 or 14, it's the second leading cause of death. Among people that are aged 15 to 24, it's the third leading cause of death. And overall, in the United States, suicide is the 12th uh, leading cause of death. Um, of those that, that die by suicide, that commit suicide, 46% have a diagnosed mental health condition, and 90% of them have, an, have, have experienced symptoms of a mental health condition. And then how does that, how do those numbers reflect? Because I know also in the study, um, it brought up some stats about juvenile youth in, you know, in the juvenile juvenile system, um, that they also suffer from mental illness. I'm wondering, like, access, what kind of resources are available for those in that system? How do they receive care? Well, in different systems, such as forensic systems, for, for, for example, there's a significant uh, prison population that suffers from mental illness, and studies reflect that maybe half of those patients will receive the care that, uh, if any care at all, in regards to their mental health needs. So it's generally a very underserved patient population. So... Um, 
even though in Los Angeles County uh, that the forensic healthcare mental health system is, uh, I think it's been referred to as the largest one in the United States. So why would you say um, these numbers are important for people to be aware of? Um, and when it comes to we are, you know, in Mental Health Awareness Month, what's what's significant about these numbers and making people aware of this information? We have to realize that mental health disorders cause a great deal of impairment, a lot of distress, and overall people just don't feel well. And so mental health is, or mental health disorders can be, of course, very troubling, and worst case scenarios can lead to suicide or homicide. So they're disorders that are serious, that can be very serious, and they must be addressed and taken into account just like physical disorders are because the outcomes can be very devastating if they're not taken care of. I also read in the study that it said the COVID-19 pandemic has increased mental health challenges with 4 in 10 adults in the U.S. reporting symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorder. Um, And that's all, you know, on top of the people that have other mental health issues problems what would you I'm just curious because you are a mental health professional and you see you know sometimes you see the worst of the worst um what else can be done to help address the issue in terms of resources and government involvement I know in one of our previous episodes we spoke on in New York, um, the mayor made a really progressive move that was kind of, um, it was definitely controversial to some. I'm forgetting what it was, but I'd love for you to like just address that. Well, the mayor of New York City has tried to get more people that are unhoused to seek mental health treatment. And the reality is, is that unhoused uh, people, there's a, an incidence of one out of five of them do suffer from some, some form of mental illness. So what the mayor is trying to do is trying to reach out to those that uh, don't have homes and are out in the streets that suffer from mental illness. He's trying to reach out to them and bring them into hospitals for the, where they can start getting their care. And that, of course, is a great idea to reach out and try to extend mental health services to those that really need them, that, aren't, that don't have a place to live, that are very distraught, that have many psychosocial stressors in addition to being in-house. So I I feel that the more services that are made available to those that need them the most is obviously a great thing. I want to talk about now access to care specifically. We'll start with America and then move on to like the greater global community. What, What are some of the barriers for people to receive care, especially in rural parts of America? So geography does play a role. Um, The statistics that are reported by the National Alliance for Mental Illness are consistent with patients in rural areas, for example, have to travel twice as far to get to a hospital um, than people in, in the cities. 
So um, internet service is uh, also lacking uh, in regards to broadband internet. So this limits the access to telehealth. So again, just ge geography in and of itself poses some challenges. And I'm sure that globally, areas that are not that are non-urban are also must have difficulties having access to care. So in this day and age, virtual therapy should be something that um, people should have access to. But again, internet services are also lacking in many areas of the world. So that poses another barrier. So access to care is just a challenge worldwide, not just in the rural areas of the United States, but globally. Uh, and it must be even harder in some of the, in, in certain parts of the world to have access to see a psychiatrist, a psychologist, or other uh, mental health professionals. So, you know, that's just that's just the reality in which we live in, unfortunately. I also feel like, um, in terms of like, what if a patient is able to, you know, receive that access to care? At least in the U.S., I know that there's a lot of not a lot, but there has been animosity towards healthcare, mental health care providers. I know from personal experience, some of my friends have had really bad psychiatrists in the past that make them not want to go back or continue seeing their psychiatrist because there's a lack of trust or a lack of um, just listening or misunderstanding. So what do you think, you know, because I feel like you could get access to care, but then if you don't like your psychiatrist or you have a bad experience with your psychiatrist, what's what's next for you if that's, quote unquote, your only option? Well, unfortunately, a physician-patient relationships always, aren't always perfect. And if it's to the point where a patient can't, work with their psychiatrist or their psychologist or the mental health professional, then it's time to move on to try to find somebody else. And again, that's challenging because the, the resources are limited. So patients need to try to work as, as hard as they can to try to form that therapeutic bond with their physician or therapist. Uh, but however, if that's not possible for whatever reason, then there has to be an alternative. That's the only way to deal with these kind of situations, I feel. Can we address um, if there are any specific groups that are more affected by mental illness than others? Yes, the, it's been noted that up to 56% of the lesbian, gay, and bisexual adults um, have a mental health diagnosis uh, compared to, say, 25% uh, of Asian adults, 36% of Hispanics, 39% uh, of African Americans, and 52% of white or Caucasian adults. So um, it, it, it varies by ethnicity um, and sexual preference. Uh, so there's different degrees of uh, mental illness in different groups. And also the care that they receive, the numbers are different for, for specific groups as well. 
Would you say the care that they receive in numbers is lower than, let's say, a non-LGBTQ person? Well, there's statistics that show that that's true. Overall, only 40% of adults with mental illness, uh, mental illness receive treatment. Um, only 65% of adults with serious mental illness receive treatment. And you know, 51% of, of youth from the ages of 6 to 17 receive mental health uh, treatment. So there's different factors that have been noted that reflect the, the treatment that people receive or access to treatment that people receive. So what, do you, what is the hope in, or I, I actually want to backtrack and ask you about like what's the ripple effect with people not receiving care or receiving poor care? What, what happens when people are left untreated? So it's important to go over this because people with severe mental illness are at, are at increased risk to develop what's called cardiac metabolic syndrome, which entails issues in regards to diabetes and cardiac issues, hyperlipidemia, high cholesterol. Uh, so um, patients that suffer from mental illness are twice as high uh, in patients in adults with serious mental illness. And it's also important to talk about, and I know we've talked about this in prior podcasts, that almost one out of three U.S. adults with uh, mental illness also suffer from substance abuse disorders. So there's a lot of comorbidity with drug use. And it's also important to talk about uh, the caregivers that um, take care of those with mental illness. In the United States, over 8 million people uh, dedicate an average of 32 hours of unpaid work towards uh, providing care for people with mental illness. So, and again, we've already talked about that 20% of our unhoused uh, population have uh, some form of um, of a serious mental illness as well. And it's also important to note that depression and anxiety take a huge economic toll on the world economy to the close to a trillion dollars a year. So these are significant impacts in our society, our economy, and the overall well-being of our, uh, of our patient population. So with that, knowing all of that, what would you say? Why do you think there isn't more of an urgency to address it in terms like a global urgency? You know, the way the pandemic, COVID-19 was declared a pandemic. Why is there like not a mental health pandemic or something? There's several factors, including stigma, which most cultures don't sort of embrace mental illness. They think it's a weakness, a character flaw, or maybe even a curse. So th there needs to be education that people need to know that mental illness is just like physical illnesses are can affect both uh, 
someone emotionally um, as well as physically, there, there's, there's really not a difference. Uh, so um, campaigns need to be led by uh, all of us to educate uh, our population about mental illness. And in the United States, we have to just highlight that you can always reach for help. You can help is always available, and we, if someone is finding themselves in a crisis, if you have a therapist, a psychiatrist, you can reach out to them. You can call them, but if for whatever reason they are not available, there's always nine eight eight. That's the number. Of, that's our emergency line for mental health uh, issues. So, if you're ever in that. At that point in your life, where you feel that you 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 don't see any hope, that you may you're thinking of hurting yourself or others, please reach out to that number because help is always available. That's going to wrap up this week's episode of Twenty Twenty Psych. Thank you guys for listening and coming along the ride for us. We hope that you found this insightful and enlightening, and that these numbers moved you. And thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day wherever you are.